Listen, no one will ever become a Christian by just looking at your life. That may give you a platform in which to speak about the Lord Jesus. In fact, if you witness only with your life, you witness only to yourself, and you might, in essence, disrepresent the gospel, they might say, oh, he's such a wonderful person, instead of giving God the glory for the change in your life. Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We are nearing the end of our study in the book of Romans and find ourselves today in chapter 15. Dr. Brogy has been looking at how to have a life and a ministry that God can use. God mightily used the Apostle Paul and his ministry and as we rejoin him, Dr. Brogy looks at three ways our ministry can be like that of the Apostle Paul's. The first is to be a light to the world, and to do that, we must have a concern for the lost. Do you really care about people who are lost? Do unsaved people know that you are a born-again Christian? Do you see yourselves as a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles? Donald Gray Barnhouse, the great pastor of the 10th Presbyterian Church who's been in heaven for decades now, he was riding in a train with his associate pastor and a group of ladies across from him said, well, what do you do for a living? He said, I'm a Catholic priest. And his brother next to him just about fell out of his seat. He said, I am a Catholic priest. Of course, the word Catholic means universal and priest well, all of us are priests under the Old Covenant. God had a unique group of people, the Levites, who would serve as priests. But under the New Covenant, every Christian is a priest. But you are a chosen race, Peter will write. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We are Catholic priests. We have a universal ministry to the world as God's priests. Now, the word that's used for priest is a word that would be typically used as someone who ministers in a temple. You say, well, do we have a temple in which we minister in? Yes, we do. And it is not simply this building. This building is the meeting place of Community Bible Church. Under the old covenant, God had a... Uh, a temple for his people under the new covenant. God has a people who are his temple. We are the temple of the living God. We are living stones. And so we come together for strengthening. We gather so that when we are scattered, we are like universal priests proclaiming the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his beloved kingdom. And notice what Paul ministered. He ministered here the gospel of God. Now, if you remember from high school English, unless you had new English, there's the genitive case. There's the possessive case. You could translate the Greek literally, this is the gospel whose source is God. This is the gospel of God, or you could say it is God's gospel. Paul warned the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 11 of people who would preach another Jesus People who would preach a different spirit, a different gospel. In other words, they'll talk about the gospel. They will talk about the spirit. They will talk about Jesus, but it is another Jesus. Which is why in Galatians chapter 1, Paul warned the church there that there are some who are 
disturbing you who want to distort the gospel of Christ. And then he will give this warning that we need to heed in our day. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed, anathema. It's a very strong word. It means damned to hell. And he says that under the inspiration of the Spirit. Why? Because God's heart is so hurt by those who distort the gospel and lead people not to heaven but to hell. As we've said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, he is to be accursed. When I see the Book of Mormon that claims to be another testament, I cannot help but think of this verse. And the irony of it is that Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, claims that an angel of God came and gave him this new revelation, this so-called new gospel. And so Paul ministered the gospel. This is not Paul's gospel. This is not some revelation that he dreamed up. This is not the apostle's gospel. This is not this church's gospel. This is God's gospel. It's not human opinion. It has been revealed by God through Christ. It is not human speculation. It's not just another religion and the Parthenon of religions. It is the gospel of God. And so we are to be careful how it is that we handle it. So-called evangelical pastor Rob Bell, who I criticized a decade ago in a Christmas sermon, and I got more notes in the mail and email why I should not attack this brother in Christ, but I question the legitimacy of what he said on the virgin birth, and I question whether or not he was preaching the same Jesus. Last Sunday, in his interview with Oprah, my wife sent me this email and these the, the actual text from the interview, he said, loneliness is not good for the world. Whoever you are, gay or straight, it is totally normal, natural, and healthy to want someone to go through life with. It's central to our humanity. We want someone to go on the journey with. This prompted Oprah Winfrey to ask, well, when is the church going to get this? He responded, quote, we're close. I think it's evolving. Lots of people are already there. We think it's inevitable, and we're moments away from the church accepting it. And then Bell warned that for the church to resist same-sex ma marriage, that it would, quote, continue to be even more irrelevant. And then he said, I think culture is already there, and the church will continue to be even more irrelevant when it quotes letters from 2,000 years ago as their best defense when you have in front of you flesh and blood people who are brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and co-workers and neighbors, and they love each other and just want to go through life. I think he's right. I think we are moments away from accepting it because we have a fake evangelical church that is twisting the scriptures. And I think you will see in the next three to five years a number of major evangelical pastors who I will not name this morning because I don't want to deal with your emails who will come out in favor of gay marriage, people that you're going to be shocked over. Listen, God does not call us to change the scripture to adapt it to the culture that we live in.
We are not editors. We are newsboys. We are simply to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not our gospel. It's not our gospel to rewrite. This is God's gospel, and we are to deliver it simply, biblically, and in the power of God, the Holy Spirit. Now, let me just say parenthetically, we as a church must never get sidetracked on secondary issues. Because there's a lot of evangelical churches that are spinning their wheels trying to fight social issues, trying to fight AIDS, trying to deal with so-called global warning, inequality, the need to feed the poor, uh, to, to, to educate the ignorant. Now, those may all have their place, my friend, but that is not the primary responsibility. The primary responsibility is not to change our politicians. The primary responsibility is not simply to feed the poor. The primary responsibility is to preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And when you change a man's heart, you will change his environment. Yes, millions of people are in hunger this morning in India because they worship pagan gods and their cows have more to eat than their people do. But if they were to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, it could change everything. Now look at verse 16. Paul said that he ministers, notice, as a priest, the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. As a priest, he was offering sacrifices to God. And what were the sacrifices he was offering? He was preaching God's gospel. And because of that, people were getting saved. And he is saying, Father, here's another sacrifice for the Holy Spirit to sanctify. You see, not only is he interested in a person's justification, he's interested in their sanctification. He's interested in their everyday experience being shaped into the image of Christ. Last Sunday, I was looking at one of you who was sitting with a brand new Christian in the first service, and I saw in the second service as I was, uh, this was two Sundays ago, as I was going up to baptize someone, them going into the discovery class to sit with that person for the next 45 weeks. Why? Because they wanted to leave their adult Bible fellowship. No, not at all. But because they had such a burden for this new believer that they wanted to encourage this new believer and to watch them grow in Jesus Christ. I remember for years after year, almost 25 years, Janice Martin, now in heaven, working in the ministry of the nursery. Gwen Brown, there week after week after week. Ministering to children, forsaking the opportunity to be in an ABF that hour to serve the children. Why? So that some of us can sit here in enjoyment as young parents and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and to grow in our faith. And so Paul's not interested as a priest just in our justification. He's interested in our sanctification. He sees himself as a spiritual obstetrician, but he also sees himself as a spiritual pediatrician. Now let me ask you, do you care about lost people? Does it really matter to you? We used to sing a hymn years ago. I remember singing it over and over again as a new Christian. I haven't sung it in years, but I thought about it this week. A hymn by Charles Luther, written in 1877. And it rang in my soul as a new Christian. Must I go and empty-handed? Must I meet my Savior's soul so? Not one soul with which to greet him. Must I empty-handed go? 
Look, I don't care what you do in this church. I don't care how faithfully you may sing in the choir, how consistently you may serve in the nursery, how much money you give, whether you usher or shepherd or anything else. If you are not involved in the process of bringing people to Christ, then you're not really serving as a New Testament priest. When was the last time you cared about a person's soul? When was the last time you even attempted to speak to a lost person, even invited them to church or some event that we had? When was the last time you prayed for someone you knew was lost and on their way to hell? Please listen to your pastor. As priests, we are to minister the gospel of God that men and women might be justified, but also that they might be sanctified. So Paul had a priestly ministry. Secondly, I want you to see the apostle Paul had a powerful ministry. Look, if you will, now at verse 17. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. Now, that's an interesting statement. You wouldn't think that Paul would find reason for boasting, but only being in humble. But he's going to qualify this statement. Let's read on in verse 18. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. The first thing he tells me is something about how God's power operates in the life. He's not comfortable as seeing himself as God's partner. Rather, he wants you to see him as God's instrument, as God's tool, as someone that not God simply works with, but someone whom God works through. Uh, we used to say the statement, I say it from time to time, tis only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. I'd like to change it a little bit. Tis only one life will soon be passed, only what's done through Christ will last. See, a lot of us are trying to do a lot of things for Christ. And it was liberating in my life in ministry when I saw that God didn't want me so much to do something for him as he wanted to do something through me. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God, for I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. I wonder what you boast in this morning. Do you ever boast in things pertaining to God or do you simply boast in your new car? or your new clothes, or your new job, or the degrees you've earned, or your favorite sports team? Do you ever boast in the things pertaining to God? There is a place for boasting in Scripture. See, the truly humble person boasts, and he gives God the glory because he recognizes that God did it through him. It's a false humility when someone says, well, I didn't do anything. It was not me. It was only God. That is so pious. And so wrong, it is phony. The truly humble person, when they are given a compliment, says, well, thank you very much. But they recognize in the midst, yes, God used them. They were the instrument, but God did it through them. You know, occasionally someone will come up to a pastor after a sermon. They'll say, well, pastor, I don't want to give you a big head, but boy, that was a fantastic sermon. Listen, they're telling on themselves. They're showing that they know little or nothing as to how the power of God operates. Because understand, if God uses a pastor mightily and ministers through him, the pastor recognizes that he didn't pull it off on his own. 
that God did it through him. And God typically only consistently works through a pastor who is yielded, who is broken, who is dependent on the spirit of God as we are for air. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. And so Paul says, in Christ, Jesus, and Messiah, Yeshua, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. I just don't want us to miss that the Apostle Paul delighted here in elevating the Lord Jesus Christ. He was on his heart. He was the primary topic of his conversation. Paul recognized that if God was going to be glorified, then God had to do it through him. And when God begins to minister through a person, you just become more and more gripped with the Lord Jesus and who he is. And so Paul, in essence, is saying, allow me to boast, allow me to brag about the Lord Jesus. Verse 18, for I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. So on the one hand, it is both biblical and proper to deep down inside have a sense of fulfillment that God gives for ministering through you. But on the same hand, we recognize that God did it through you. And so Paul, in essence, is saying this one who as a minister, as a priest, had these Gentiles by the tens of thousands, he being the apostle to the Gentiles, he being the signature spokesperson to the Gentiles, he was basically saying, don't put me on a pedestal. Don't elevate me. The Lord Jesus, yes, used me, but he did it through me. Now, there's no doubt in my mind that the single most influential Christian in the history of the church was the Apostle Paul. And so he will say to the Corinthians, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insult, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And notice how God ministered through him in two specific ways. Did you see it? Christ is accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles. How? By word and deed. Their lives were changed, these Gentiles to whom he gave the gospel. They had authentic Christianity that changed both their walk and their talk, their words and their works. Now, there are some people today as believers who say, well, pastor, I witness by my life. I want people to witness my life. I don't share Christ like you do, but I let people see my life that they might be one to Christ. Listen, no one will ever become a Christian by just looking at your life. That may give you a platform in which to speak about the Lord Jesus. In fact, if you witness only with your life, you witness only to yourself, and you might, in essence, disrepresent the gospel, they might say, oh, he's such a wonderful person. Instead of giving God the glory for the change in your life, understand that the gospel is propositional. People must hear of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. No one will ever become a Christian just by looking at your life. Remember what we studied back in Romans 10? Those four questions that Paul asked after he said, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord, applying it to Jesus, will be saved. And then he said, 
How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him in whom they have not heard? That's the unbeliever's problem. He cannot believe something he does not know and understand. The gospel must first be preached and heard. And then he highlights two questions underscoring our responsibility. And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent? And the word here for preacher is not a technical word like of a pulpit preacher like myself. It's a non-technical word. It's used of every Christian, of a herald, of one who announces good news. No one will ever be saved just by looking at your life. They need to hear the plan of salvation. And Paul invites us in his passion to win the lost, to share the good news. But understand, on the other side of the spectrum are those Christians who talk, 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 talk about Jesus, but their walk does not match their talk. And they bring great discredit and great disrepute on the cause of Jesus Christ. They do more harm than they do good for the gospel. God doesn't want us to be cowards. God doesn't want us to be hypocrites. He wants us in both words and our works to live a changed life. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. Would you like God to use you that way, to, to see a pagan changed in both his words and his deeds? You say, well, pastor, God can't do that through me. Only God can do that. That's his point. Only God can do it, but he wants to do it through you. God is a sovereign, omnipotent God, has chosen to deliver the gospel, not by the rock shouting the good news, not by writing in the sky, but through mouthpieces like yours, like mine, who are willing to deliver this great news. Now let's read verse 19. I want you to see, let's get a running start here. He says, it resulted his preaching of the gospel, his ministry as a priest, and the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, Notice, in the power of signs and wonders and the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout as far as El Rickham, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now, what a combination. He speaks here of signs and wonders that attended his ministry. Now, should we as Christians today have signs and wonders? Should we perform miracles? Some Christians say we should, and some Christians say it's normative for the church. Not in Paul's theology, not in the theology of the New Testament. When Paul wrote the Corinthian church where false apostles had come in, who tried to represent God, who said Paul was a phony, Paul was a Johnny-come-lately, Paul was not a true apostle. Paul defends his apostleship. Have I not seen the risen Christ? Yes, he had. Had he not personally been chosen by the risen Christ? Yes, he had. How do you know he had seen and been chosen by the risen Christ? He tells us in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. Listen, his point is meaningless if any and every Christian can do the signs, wonders, and miracles that he did as an apostle. No, Paul, like the other apostles, when the church is being established, had their ministry authenticated by Christ proven that he had called them and that they had seen him in his resurrected body because of the signs, wonders, and miracles done through them. Understand when Paul is ministering, 
When Paul uh, writes the book of Romans, he had not yet read John 3.16. 1 Peter, Jude, or James had not been written. In fact, Paul in his lifetime never read the book of Revelation because it was written after he died. And so the badge of authenticity of being called of God was his ability to heal the sick, to give sight to the blind, to raise the dead. And God in his providence gave the same abilities that he gave to his son, he gave to his apostles. Why? Because they were laying the foundation for the church and God's people needed to see that they were indeed God's spokesmen. We are not building, uh, we are not laying the foundation, we are now building on the foundation. And the real test and authenticity today of a pastor's ministry is not doing these so-called fake ministries that these shysters are doing all over the TV channels, but doing what God calls us to do as pastors, and that's to preach the word. It's our association with apostolic doctrine that marks us as God's man, as God's people. So Paul is in essence saying, look, it wasn't me. It was a God who is at work in me. You say, does God still work in power? Yes, he does. You may not do signs and wonders and miracles that were unique to apostles and apostolic delegates, but the same Holy Spirit who functioned in Paul wants to function in your life. Do you remember the promise the Lord Jesus gave, John 14? Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. In greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. Now, that's a very interesting verse. Jesus is promising that those who believe will do greater works than he did. Now, if you read the Acts of the Apostles, which covers the first 30 years of church history, you discover that they did some special healings and miracles like Christ, but nothing on the scale that Jesus did. So what does he mean by greater works? I mean, what would be a greater work than having the blind to see and the deaf to hear and lame, paralyzed limbs to walk and even seeing someone raised from the dead? What would be greater than those physical healings? Spiritual healings. They did spiritual healings on a level like the Lord Jesus never did. On Pentecost alone, on one day alone, they saw more people won to Jesus Christ than the Lord had in his his entire public ministry. That's the way the Lord Jesus designed it. He was laying a foundation with these apostles who are going to be pillars of the church. He built into their lives. Yes, he saw people come to himself, but those were foundational people, and they saw works like they like he never saw. And that's what he promised. In the short history of this church, we have seen thousands of people won to Christ and baptized. We have seen, by the grace of God, the greater works I mean, what is a greater miracle than conversion? I mean, I'm serious. Is there a greater miracle than conversion? Is that a, is that a greater work than God even creating the world? Oh, yes, it is. As magnificent that God can create the world in six literal 24-hour days, and he did And this nonsense that so many evangelicals have bought that God has used the process of evolution to create the world is sheer heresy. It undermines the scripture. To listen again to today's message from Romans chapter 15 entitled, 
a life and ministry that God can use, download the Search the Scriptures app. There you can listen to the entire Romans series. Just look up Search the Scriptures with Dr. Brogy in the iTunes Store or Google Play Store. Also, check out Dr. Brogy's wife Audrey's podcast, Rare But Real. You can find it on Apple, Google, and Spotify podcast platforms. You can also listen online at searchthescriptures.org or request a hard copy by calling Search the Scriptures at 877-787-7478. Today's program is ROM70. Tomorrow we'll conclude our look at a life and ministry God can use. Join us then when we search the Scriptures. <music>